0: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight-loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hi, Pod fans. It's JR here. in terms applied, see McDonald's.com. Rogers is streaking ahead and is
2: onside. Beautiful play! That is that! a shot! Oh, goal! By British Crown! post for Shearer, goal! But has it. hard deflection! And to goal! Just a Mitchell! It's
1: another goal! Incredible! Hubble! Yes, I win this league anyway. Richard, he's
2: hit it, it's strikes again!
0: Hello Michael. How you doing rich oh, i'm all right it's been a long day today we're talking on saturday the 13th of may and the sun has come out in the west country for the first time in what feels like months so entertaining the troops has been quite the endeavor but i'm so happy you're on uh, i say this quite often but we've been meaning to get this over the line for a while and here we are so i'm super grateful thank you
2: no you're welcome as i said i know you've you've um you've been touching base with me every so often and It was just trying to find the right opportunity because I didn't want it to be a rushed affair with yourself. Um, I wanted to make sure I gave my time accordingly to you to to go through what you wanted to talk about. Yeah,
0: and there's loads to talk about. So let's get cracking right at the beginning when all this football malarkey was just becoming a thing in your life. Who did you support and who were those childhood heroes?
2: Well, going back from very early ages is... um, it was my, my my older brothers Kevin and Ryan, um, more so Kevin, the oldest. He he was into his football, and he was the one that got me into to playing from very young age, from seven or eight. I was playing for a, a, a team in Bermondsey called Red Lion Boys Club, very well known team in the in South London, um, for all the ages. A lot of players have come through there, the likes so of Jason Yule, um, to name a few. But uh, yes, yeah, so started off there and just grew grew from there. So. I think I was probably around the age of, I think eleven or so, when I started to take a real keen interest of of, of the um, the top teams, and in particular, Man United at the time. The only reason why, because they had they had the core group of the young English players coming through. You didn't really see. You might have came across one youngster here or there in the teams, but with United having so many. Um, especially English players, but so many, so many youngsters all in the same sort of time coming through. You looked, you looked to it as, you know, as a, as a guide to hopefully do it one day. And I wouldn't say I supported them, but I I definitely kind of gravitated to be watching them a lot more. Um, And obviously they started to win a lot more over the years when I was watching them. But I got told, funny, I joined Wimbledon at the age of eight, um, the, the crazy gang, the old Wimbledon. And, uh, I got told from a coach when I was about eleven, and it stuck in my head. He said, "You, if you don't, be, if you're not a fan of a football club, you'll learn football better." Right. And at the time, a lot of a lot of the boys in the team, you know, the teammates, they 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 were all shouting, oh, you should support this team, support that team." And I kind of thought about it, and it kind of always stuck in my mind after that because he he explained saying that you don't become biased. You, if you're, if for instance. We support like so Swindon. And if Swindon lost, we'd would turn around and say, Oh, Swindon were terrible today. They didn't do this, didn't do that. Whereas if they if if the team they were playing against hypothetically it was um let's say Luton, you wouldn't look at Luton how good they were and why they were good. And it kind of stuck stuck with me ever since then, um, how he explains that. And the older I got, I kind of thought about it more and definitely around the time when when I was injured, and I know you're gonna probably um talk about it. Um, later on when I was around 18 I ended up having to have a year out um, I wasn't able to play I had to have, have a resting period uh, while I was at Fulham and I think I probably my mentality developed strongly then how I was looking at football and thinking about football and I think um, I definitely think it, supporting a team is 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 fantastic but if you're kind of neutral you definitely do would look at both teams in a tactical sense if you if if I'm making myself clear
0: yeah absolutely it's really interesting and I think if you I I, from a football fan's perspective I see a a a growing number of people that don't support a team they just like football and they like watching it and I think that isn't the way to go if you're just a fan but if you're looking to go in the game it's a fantastic way of looking at yeah and
2: and the funny thing is on, on the flip side, I've I've had to accept now because I, I never used to accept it before, but I've had to accept it now because obviously we're um, going down the coaching route and hopefully work as high as I can as a coach and possibly one day become a manager. You have to accept that there is players in football now that don't see football as a, as a passion. They see it as a job. Yeah. And I couldn't accept it years ago, especially as a, when I was growing up as a player, I, I and I didn't even like the thought of hearing one of my teammates didn't, you know, love football as much as I did, and and they only saw it as a, as a job to to make the ends meet, as they say. But it generally is sometimes that that's the case. And over the over the course of the last four or five years, I've accepted it more because with with regards to players having to to pay the bills and they, they go up and down the country, and sometimes they'll go anywhere to to get that that contract you have to accept that you have to look at it like that. And it's quite disappointing because we, those of us that have played, you know, a reasonably good career and, and that's predominantly, that's everything we've done. We were getting paid to play, to play football, you know, and it's the best sport and you're, you're there to entertain the fans. And uh, as they say, you're, you join a football club and players are, fortunate in my opinion players are fortunate if if they become legends if they become you know household names for the fans there because effectively you're just you're you're occupying their house so to speak you know you're joining the club and hopefully players do generally you know make a longer period of 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 establishment at a club but you don't see it no more these days I think these days players are generally only staying for two to three years max maximum
0: Oh, if we're lucky, if we're lucky <laughs> in the lower leagues, aren't we? That third yeah. year would be is is great when it happens. Yeah, it is interesting because it, it's something that that's creeping in. I mean, the most famous example of footballers who aren't that bothered about the game itself: David Batty. He famously yeah. like walked away and wasn't interested at the time. You know, he could lose a game, just you know, get in his car and and get on with his life. And I think Ben White in modern times is is another player just you know. He, he plays it, and I, and I kind of respect that. And I think again, it's it's two sides of a coin, isn't it? Because sure. you know you've got that that clarity as a footballer, but then you've got a bunch of people behind these players that going, you know, I live, breathe this game, and this guy who doesn't give a damn yeah.
2: is good. Um, and that's and that's exactly that. You can see you can see the element where it might benefit the player at times because he might not get uh, caught up or depressed or you know. Um, might not be able to to switch off as as they say, you know, and they they generally say players need to switch off sometimes, you know, when they get away from the training ground or, or after a game. But players, in my opinion, have to always be mindful that fans up and down the country pay good money. They 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 travel, and sometimes at the end of the week, that's all they're looking forward to, you know. And it's their release, and players have to ex- accept that as much as we love. um as much as we love the the glory and we love getting you know bigged up and patted on the back and stuff like that, it, there's times where you have to kind of almost take the rough and the smooth and accept the criticism as long as it doesn't go too far. And I think at times, especially with the social media social media element now, the way it's coming into play, um, on a massive factor, I think that's where a lot of the problems are going to start coming out for players um, because. It, it's it's too hard for players not to go on social media after they've had a bad game to see what fans are saying about them. You'd love the fact that players wouldn't because they don't really need to see it because they know they've probably played bad, but they always gravitate to that. And on the flip side, they could have played a very good game and the team's won. And not, uh, nine uh, one out of 10 fans might have said that he didn't play well and that he doesn't think about the nine fans that said he has. He's going to be caught up on that one fan. Oh. Yeah, that? It, there, there's so many factors in the game now where I think it. it coincides with both. If if players always remember that it's fans, you know, you know, that it's it's everything they love, they follow them since they're kids all the way and they go up and down and paying for it. And then on the flip side, you hope that fans will remember that players are naturally only human and they're gonna make mistakes. Um so I think it's about about kind of seeing it in both both situations where we don't go too far with it.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting world, isn't it? Um, it's it's, it's so much more than Saturday three pm and and Tuesday seven forty five. You know, it's there's so much at stake and so much going on with the mentality of a footballer. Let, let, let's go back to your career and your youth beginnings because you say there you were at Wimbledon at a very young age and and your youth career ends at Fulham talk to me about your journey your your influences and and
2: what you experienced during that time well Ryan Giggs where he was like the high profile youngster at the time and coming through he was a left winger and I was left footed and that's the the position I was generally playing a lot of the time for Wimbledon uh, as a youngster so he's someone I gravitated to um, very early on and then the older I got I was probably around I think it was about 14, 15 is when I started playing a little bit more center midfield. And once I kind of moved into those areas, that's when I started to really like be obsessed with Zinedine Zidane. And all the way through my career, he's 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 been sort of the leading figure that I always used to watch little clips of him before games and you know, like want to see how he was doing when he was playing at Real Madrid. And you know, I just found him fascinating that you know people said that he was like a poet. You know, like he he was able to do things so effortlessly, you know, and um as they say, the hardest thing is from football is to make things look easy.
0: Yeah. So I mean, how do you I think he's generally considered one of the best players in the world, so it's it's not easy to sort of replicate uh, people like Zinazin Zin- Zidane. So how did you how did his game benefit yours when you were going through the youth ranks?
2: Um well I was I was fortunate because the player the type of player I was when I was when I was really young I was um very te- technical um I was I was quite small compared to a lot of the players and um, and to be fair I was probably not at the right club um not because you know I should have been at a, a better club it was more the fact of the type of cu- culture that Wimbledon was back then there were big strong you know aggressive football and as much as I was all right there and they really liked me and stuff because uh, you know during the period I was there um I was I was one of one of the one of no two, one of two boys out of the out of the age group that got selected to go to um Bisham Abbey um for oh, yeah. for England back then so I think that at the time I think it was under 13s um under 12s or 13s they selected two from every club in uh, in England um, the top league um, to to go to to go there for a week, but I chose not to go. I went on a school trip, and I think it didn't probably sit well with Wimbledon at the time. But <laughs> considering that the type of first team that Wimbledon had, and the type of players that they were predominantly looking to bring through the system and stuff, I, I probably wasn't ever really going to do well unless I kind of changed. And you know, I I'd end up getting released when I was fourteen for being too small, is what they said to me. Um, a classic. You know. Yeah, and it, it, that was generally, it. people would say it was an excuse back then, but I think it generally was a real reason. They probably didn't want to have young, small players. But nowadays, you probably see a, a huge amount of youngsters coming through. And if they're technical, it's even more an added bonus. Um, but what ended up benefiting me is that I went to Fulham straight away and uh, so I was under 14s, just turning under 15s, and Kevin and had been at the club, and he had literally just left. And in that summer, um, Jean Tigana took over. Now he was part of um, his his uh, assistant Christian Taylor, He was part of re- um, building Claire Fontaine in yeah. France, and they they are heavily everything is on technicals, uh, the aspect of the player, left foot, right foot, and everything. And I was. I was actually really good at a young age with both feet, and uh, from as soon as as soon as obviously I joined Fulham, that was everything. It was all about you know how good you are with the ball and you, all the the skills and stuff like that. And then as soon as I I went there and signed youth team football, I was training with the first team straight away. At the, at, at, I think I was sixteen um, when I first started training with the first team under John Tigana. Um because of that reason, the type of club it was, it suited me perfect, you know. And I was actually I was that's when I started to realize, you know, I say it to I say it to young, youngsters now when I've been coaching and stuff, is that I don't I I try to let them know that football is about opinions and that's that's a good thing and it's a bad thing. So one manager might think you're 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 not very good, but another manager might think you're very good. And if the players, that especially the youngsters, don't get caught up on the emotions of a of a manager not really liking you, you'll be you'll probably be far, be far better suited moving forward because it, it could change so drastically. As long as that emotion doesn't affect you and you worry about it, you you'll probably you know do far better. So that's how I started to learn about a lot of things when I was young. So with with regards to like when I joined Fulham, it was, it was perfect because everything was suited for me. Everything that they did in training, it was what I was more than capable of doing. And to the point that when I was training a couple of occasions when I was very young, um, just turning 17, I was, I was the one that was doing the demonstrations for the rest of the first team. John Tigana used to get me to do the demonstrations and, you know, the the feeling of, of that back then, you know, I knew full well the position I was in, um, how much they liked me, they they saw me as you know like the next you know kid coming through and stuff. And uh, it, it does make I, I, I don't I don't care what any player does think it makes anyone feel special, whether mm-hmm. you're a player or not, to be in that situation. So yeah, from from a very young age, when I was part of the, you know going into the youth team, I knew I had a really good chance of being amongst Fulham's first team
0: nice and it is such a good answer but i still and i'm i know some of the listeners will be will be thinking the same is what school trip did you go to instead of playing football <laughs> <laughs> I'll,
2: I'll be on i'll be honest with you rich um because it happened again uh when i was under 17s um back then you had under under it was kind of like under eight under 17s under 19s but it was a bit of an under 18s team we played southampton away and i'll go back to the school trip in a second but we we played southampton away and it happened again when i was playing for Fulham um down at the their old training ground um so with the school trip i went to it was for Bel um, in Belgium it was just for my my secondary uh, school and yeah. to be honest the, the reason why i i wasn't overly keen on going to the England's uh, set up you know for the week's training it was because it was England so, yeah
0: there we go I yeah, knew it mom,
2: I was never against England <laughs> but my mum and dad being Irish and grew up grew up in Ireland and moved over in in the early 70s and up until you know my dad passed away recently but my mum still has a really strong Irish accent um I go back regularly my my granny still lives uh, my granny's still alive she's 97 turning 98 Ooh. so we've we've got even though I was born in England, uh, we are a really strong Irish family. But my mum and dad always used to say to me when I was growing up, you know, they've they've been fortunate to come to England and make a good life for, for themselves, and and obviously we we came along. But I always wanted to play for Ireland for their sake, you know, and growing up and stuff like that. And that was half the reason when when um, I got asked to go there when I was at Wimbledon. But then the second occasion is when when I was at Fulham. England um, scouts must have been watching the game when we played Southampton and I've done very well. And I've, I was getting a bit of a reputation back then. I was, I was one of the, the key players at Fulham at the time and they approached Fulham after the game and said that we'd really like to call him up for the next squad. And Fulham come to me after the game and I clearly remember it, it was Steve Keane who was on the coach heading back to, to Fulham's training ground. And uh, they were delighted, you know, saying, oh, like England's just approached us and they really want to call you up for next year. And I said, I kind of was a bit startled and they were like, well, why are you not happy? I said, oh, I, I don't really want to play for England. I want to play for Ireland. And they're like, oh, right. We just assumed you'd, you'd want to play for England. I said, no, well, my mum and dad, so obviously the the, the Irish, want to try and play for Ireland. So then that's how the, the opportunity came round then Ireland obviously like heard about the situation and I got called up on the Ireland. Island. And it just shows you how certain situations, you know, come around. My first call up for Ireland on the 17th, I was the only English spoken boy, um, English accent. I mean, yeah. everyone was Irish, um, although majority of the, the the squad that I got called up to was kind of playing in Ireland, uh, playing in England, sorry, at youth team level. Um, but yeah, I was I was the only English boy at that that period for that tournament. Um, that was English uh, speak English sounding. Sorry, um, but yeah, it, it, family influences um, <laughs> all of that situation that does play a huge part. Um, oh, absolutely. And and then I was going to say before you even said any
0: anything it was like this this reeks of a man who was uh, <laughs> who was ready to play for Ireland over England and isn't it so quintessentially england of that era to go oh uh, we just assumed you wanted to play for you yeah. know england That's, <laughs> so we're getting better at that i think um maybe i don't know i'm not in the industry but it feels like we're not like assuming that footballers want to play for england over wales yeah cuz i think
2: Scotland. i think uh, over the course of probably the last uh, i'd say about 10 years now um and I've, I think going back to it again, I think social media has played a big part in that. But not not only that, the the, the national the national teams of those country, uh, the, the teams of those nationalities, they've actually really probably come on, you know, leaps and bounds as opposed to England. Um, so a lot of the youngsters coming through now, they they see it as I wouldn't say just about heritage, but they see it as a good opportunity to get to that level. Yeah, agreed. Quicker,
0: yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I, no. think it's, I think it's an opportunity. I mean, if you've got two yeah. nations or three nations or four nations that you can play for, use it. You don't have to just go, well, I've lived in England all my life or I've lived in Scotland all my life. If you want to play for another nation that isn't the one that people assume,
2: do it. Yeah, of course. And that's what I, I do go back to because a lot of the back then when I actually started playing with Ireland, a lot of the Irish boys, even though I kind of knew some of them, they would just assume that I wasn't. I wasn't able to even get a look in to go to England. And that's why I chose Ireland, but it's only until they actually really probably got to know me and they knew about my family. And it weren't just like my grandmother that was, that was Irish. It was actually my mum and dad. And I still go back to Ireland all the time. You, then they obviously start to treat you differently. Um, but that's, uh, there, there's been no number of players over the years. Um, for instance, uh, Declan Rice and Jack Grealish, they played underage all the way up to 21s like myself. Yeah. They took the decision to go and play for England. Now, on the flip side, they probably saw it as a, a bigger opportunity for them to play at a higher level on the uh, on the international stage by going to England, and I wouldn't blame them for it. But I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be happy about it if you know what I mean. <laughs> right now, yeah. listen, good thing about the two of them is played. It's played its course well for them, and and I say fair play to that because if had they made the decision to leave Ireland when they did under twenty ones because um, they would have been the top players for Ireland without a shadow of a doubt going on for years and years. But the fact that they've gone to England and actually become the, the main players, I, I'm I'm kind of happy for them in a way because no one's then been able to complain to them that they made the bad decision, if you know what I mean.
0: Oh, absolutely. And it, it's this is where it's hard not to sound like an arrogant Englishman because with, with the case of Rice and Grealish, the Republic of Ireland nurtured that talent for a good few years age groups and in the case of Declan Rice was capped by the Republic of Ireland but just in friendlies wasn't he and then when they walk off to England because they've, they've just got better over time it's hard to take but the flip side sadly is if somebody's come through the England ranks all the way to under 21 and then goes do you know what I'm going to go to Scotland instead of Ireland it's probably because they can't get into yeah, the England
2: they can't get into now that's where I think um... England have been lucky, and I say England like uh, I'm not part of this country, but what I'm saying the the England setup, the FA setup, they're, they're they're lucky that there's been a huge amount of talent anyway coming through. Of course. Uh, but I think you're starting to see that there is a couple of players that England would really want them to be involved with leading up to the 21s and the, and in the senior team, but they are actually taking the decision now to play elsewhere, elsewhere, nationality, more so with the African teams. Yeah, so a lot of a lot of boys, especially growing up in South London, there's a huge amount of boys, uh, Crystal Palace, for instance, are coming through in Fulham. They, they are now starting to think about playing for their, their family heritage. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, it won't, I wouldn't say it's going to affect England because they've got such a, a huge pool of talent to be picking from, but you will now generally start seeing a lot of um English born players playing, playing elsewhere because of that reason that one, the stage is bigger for them um, two, it, they're probably starting to, to gravitate to that heritage uh, similar to what I probably had, but that's why I touch it on the social media, social media uh, aspect, because now they start to see the, the vast amount of fans, you know, that are actually, you know, supporting these, these countries um, that they were in the first place, but you weren't a- able to actually physically see it, you know, without the, the social media side of things. Yeah.
0: And, 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 just to end on the, the international stuff, because you represent the Republic of Ireland, as you mentioned there, and under seventeen, but also quite a few times at under twenty-one, under twenty-one
2: level. What does that mean to you, looking back now? Ah, uh, Rich, honestly, I, I still get goosebumps over it. Um, like, like listening to the national anthem, because I'll explain a. a a situation so in Ireland when I was growing up when I was really young I used to go back there for the full summer six weeks as soon as the last day of, of primary school or or the first few years of secondary school we would go back to Ireland for the full six weeks until we were back the next uh, that day for school the next year but every every weekend or every couple of days back there you'd you'd especially with my granny she lives in a village so it's in the west of Ireland um, directly opposite from Knock. But on the very very far end of the west uh, top west and it's um it's a nice part of it uh, out there everyone knows that it's so nice there an area called Belmullet in Mayo and she lives in a a a, a village called Barna and there's there's a number of villages in and around the areas of, of that sort of uh, region but they've all got their own sort of pub and everyone travels to the pubs so they would have bands playing and every every time a band finishes on the night they had always played the national anthem and I just thought it was an actual, you know, it was, it was a normal thing until obviously I started to, re- the older I got in England, I realized, Oh, it must be just Irish, you know, people that do it. But um, they had played the national anthem. The band would play the national anthem and everyone would stand up in the, in the, the pub or the bar and stuff like that. So from a very young age, I was influenced of, of the national anthem standing, you know, amongst everyone and stuff like that, but to do it for the first time playing for Ireland and, and, family watching you and stuff like that. I mean still thinking about it just, I, I class myself as incredibly you know like lucky to to have done that because I know my, my family are very 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 proud for it lovely
0: yeah so this injury at 18 because it sounds like you know Dagan putting a lot of faith in you like on the training pitch and I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit in terms of your senior career, but I talked to a lot of footballers over the years. And when we look at their hot flight youth career, there's never really any major chance of them breaching the, the senior side, but you do, you play in the cups over three seasons. So they really are looking at you and they are nurturing you to become potentially a first team player.
2: How yeah. much of an
0: impact did that injury have?
2: yeah I, th- I think it had a, a big impact uh on my progression um the acceleration of my progression but also um even though it, uh, eventually i'd say it, it meant it may it made me mentally strong mm. i did go for a period of, of drinking a lot um, especially at a young age i was only 18 or so um the frustration was i was I was not able to do anything physically, you know. I was able to to go on an exercise bike and do stretching and a bit of yoga and things like that, but I wasn't able to do anything physical because the the injury I had, I, I collided with Nigel Winterburn when he, I think if if you remember, he went to West Ham towards yeah. the end of his career, and we played uh, West Ham in a reserve game at Woking, and um, I collided with him like. To, probably the last 15 minutes of the game. And it was just, a, a, you know, like a shoulder to shoulder, nothing really, you know, untowards or anything. And I got a sharp pain in my back. And when I tried to kind of move again, it, it wouldn't go away. And it was quite, you know, you know pinpointing. So I came off and then obviously the next morning I went for a scan and it showed I had, I had a couple of stress stress factors in my vertebrae. And back then, I think nowadays it's quite, quite a, an injury that's kind of flared up quite a bit. Especially for for youngsters coming through because I think it's where your 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 body's still growing and stuff like that. But it was quite a rare thing back then. So Fulham wasn't sure how to, to make of it. So we went and saw a specialist. Um but the, the issue I had on on one of my vertebrae I had a fracture and on the other side of that that vertebrae, it was a clear break. So they were concerned that if that um fracture that was still held together would go, it would obviously make my vertebrae go towards my spine. Um so I went and saw a specialist, and the specialist recommended that I had rest for six months. Um, they they thought that was the best period of time, you know, to give it to heal the healing process for the bones. Yeah. So obviously we went down that route. Um, was resting for the first six months and came to the to the next six months. Now obviously the frustration for me was naturally I started to feel like players. Uh, my age group, uh, the older players, the senior players of the first team that knew me, you know, by this stage and and to say hello to me and stuff like that, I started to feel like they thought I was I was not bothering to want to train. You know, I didn't have the heart to train. Um, there was nothing wrong with me because physically, if you looked at me, there was nothing wrong with me. Um, every Everyone knew the injury I had, but you still can't change that perception that some people might have thinking about that. And um, I found it very frustrating to be at the training ground every day, um, not physically being able to do anything, but I'm um, there watching it. And obviously, I, w- I was obsessed about football. I just wanted to play football. So I was I was fortunate that after John Tigan left and Chris Coleman took over, before Chris Coleman um, had his injury, um, I was able to play a few games with him, and and he he gravitated to me massively. And I think my my Fulham career. Definitely was more about him. He, he definitely took me under his wing, or well, Steve Keen as well, his assistant. But he, they, he took me under his wing, and to the point where he knew probably what I was going through. And I think he's proven now that with Wells, how well we done, how well we looked after the players. He everyone classed him as a great man manager. He actually started bringing me on away trips with the first team. So I was part of the first team squads. Had never played by this stage, you know. I part of the first team squads. Um but going to, you know, May United, going to Old Trafford and on the coach with them and stuff like that. And he just explained to me saying that, I have big plans for you. I want you to be part of this first team and playing. And in the meantime, I want you to be in amongst it, witnessing it, experiencing it. Now managers have done that in the past one or two times, you know, to to reward a youngster to say, Oh, you're playing well um in the youth team, you're playing well in the in the reserve team, come come on, travel with the first team to an away game. I don't think it happens as much as 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 now, but it used to happen quite a bit um, back then. But I was generally going a lot of the games, and I was I was always grateful because it 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 still made me part of it, and it still made me realise that I've still got a huge chance when I do get fit. So I was driven to to kind of get back fit. The only frustration was when I turned um, up to see the specialist after the first six months. The scan showed that nothing had changed, and. The specialist again recommended it, we might have to do another course of another six months. So obviously Fulham was frustrated with it, but they agreed. As I said, we'll go down that route, but then they, they wanted to go for a second opinion. So after another month or so, I went to see a different specialist and he, he's turned around and said, he thinks that nothing's going to change that. He doesn't see it being a risk for me going back to training. Um, he said, and because of the, the length of period I had off and nothing's um, changed in that area, that he doesn't feel it will change, you know, as far as getting better or worse. So um, Fulham took the decision to go what what the second specialist said. And I started now, if you can imagine, I was out for close to seven, eight months now by this stage, totally not doing nothing. Now it's different when you're, when you're recovering from an, an injury, which I've had since then, long-term injuries and big injuries, you're generally able to do physical stuff, whether it's, you know, on, on battle ropes, you know, you're able to get your fitness going on a different side of the way rather than running, but I was able to do nothing, you know, not no strenuous work. So I was really, really, you know, like bad on fitness by this stage. So it took, I I started to have to to do fitness training with Fulham. So a mini pre-season, so to speak. And, uh, it must be the case where I wasn't doing anything at all. The first two weeks into my rehab to start getting up to match fitness and um, well, I wouldn't say match fitness, but getting going again and and getting on the training pitch and stuff like that. I broke my, my metatarsal in my right foot um, by, by, by basically walking along and doing kickups. Now yeah. that's when Fulham started to be concerned, thinking, have I got problems with my bones? Are they brittle? So obviously I had to go for a check on that, but the frustration at the time, I think, I don't know if it was David Beckham or Gary Neville, you can get two types of breaks in your Metatarsal. You can get a five to six weeks one, or it's, it would be a five-month one. <laughs> Frustrating for me, I ended up getting the worst one five months. Yeah. I had to get a screw put in my foot. So effectively, I was out for that year that was effectively planned. Um, and then when I was back after that period, it took me a whole year just to get fit because I was out for a whole year previously. But during that time, Richard, I, I mean, I, uh, sorry, I, I, I played, I made my debut for for Fulham under Chris Coleman. I think I was 17 at the time. He was Boston away in the League Cup. Um So I knew I knew I had a, a real good chance, because obviously I trained with the first team, and I knew John Tiegler really liked me. Um This is when, you know, the really high-profile players for Fulham was there, um, Edwin van der Sarre, you had big, big players, had big names. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had a real good chance. And I knew I was I was more than capable, you know, of being amongst players because when I was training them, I was doing well and stuff like that. And then when Chris Coleman ended up taking caretaker and he's taken over, I knew because I had the manager now that really favored me, I thought oh, I've got a right good chance. And it wasn't, you know, the aspect of thinking, you know, I've 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 made it now or you know, getting carried away and not on not pushing myself, it was the frustration of these injuries that came along and now coincide of being being a teenager um, and then obviously coming from a, a, an Irish background that's predominantly heavy drinkers, like my uncles and my dad and stuff like that. Around that period, I was drinking a lot and to the point where Chris Coleman had to take me into the office and sit me down and ask, like, did I still want to be a footballer? Because he was worried. Um, so... A lot of that period back then um, has made me probably the person I am now um, with regards to I, I probably don't get um, too caught up with, with um, you know, down about not playing well and stuff like that. I, I get agitated and I get frustrated if I haven't played well, but my mentality would be right the next game i'm going to prove it or if the manager has dropped to me i'm going to prove the manager that he's going to need me and i'm going to work hard to be back in the team whereas other players would probably sulk and and down tools so to speak but it's probably from that period because i was desperate to be training you know so the older i got from that period onwards i probably would train with injuries and not not to a huge detriment but i would play with niggles and not Not see as an issue at all, whereas other players would would probably choose not to 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 play, have the rest period, but then they would always be in and out of training, you know, because of the 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 little niggles that they're picking up. Like for instance, Rich, I I was known, I never I never get massages. The only times I used to actually get massages when I was injured with the bigger injuries. all All the injuries. I mean, I was looking back on it then with Ben Clocks in the South End Physio, all the injuries I had after that period um, up until I finished my career. Um, I, I had some really, really like big long-term injuries, but they were always contact injuries. There was never, you know, any real, you know, muscle tears or things like that. It was all impact and bones or dislocating things. And it was because of the player I was, I was, you know, I was an all or nothing flying into things and stuff like that. And, and I would never change, you know, because the way I felt is that the, the least I should do for the fans is run, you know, run and put some effort in and stuff like that. Now, it, you need a lot more than that to be entertaining. You need a lot more than that to be a good player. Um, but predominantly, a lot of the injuries were impact ones. And when I made up the the time period of of adding it all together, it worked out to be about five or six seasons I would have missed. Wow yeah and that, and that's why i still i still class myself as very fortunate to have played the amount of games i did um and for 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 how long i did considering that the amount of injuries i had when it adds up to about six month, uh, six seasons
0: Yeah, you're not wrong. You you play a handful of times for Fulham in the Cups, playing against some really cool names, alongside some really cool names. Um, That was a great time in Fulham history. I mean, I'm at university around this time. So, you know, you've got your Radzinskis, you've got Brides, Bocanegras, Mole Bronx and and all that. And then you have a couple of loan spells, um, Scunthorpe and Doncaster Rovers. And then the next season... That's where the Swindon Love Affair begins. Now, in terms of your loan moves at this time, is your mentality just, I'm going to go out to Scunthorpe, Doncaster, Swindon, get some games under my belt, but Fulham is the goal. Or at that stage in your career, are you thinking, if I want to be a professional footballer, I'm going to have to really impress and, and try and get a move elsewhere?
2: Yeah, so the the, the Doncaster and Scunthorpe um, loans, that was when I was, um, you know, back training uh had a year or so of, of getting back to, to to fitness and stuff like that uh because Fulham actually said to me look you know you've got to accept that it's going to take you probably close to a season to get fit because you've had so long out so I kind of knew the situation I was in and stuff like that um uh with the loans to Doncaster and Scunthorpe, they they came around because I needed to kind of get out I was getting to the age of I think I was 19 uh, close to 1920 or so and um I needed to get out and play some you know men's football so to speak. Um because I'd probably only played um all reserve football by the stage apart from the handful of cup games for Fulham. So Fulham was really keen for me to get out and play some games. Um I was obviously keen myself. It it looking back at it it probably wasn't a good move for me going up north as as far as I did. Um because I was still young. I was still living at home. Um and it, from the year I just had and stuff like that, as much as I was desperate to go and play football, I probably would would have been far better suited to be closer to home and playing somewhere because I, I, I probably was still on that that wavelength of, of drinking and stuff like that. So that's why I look back on a, a lot of sort of key moments for players does does sort of have an influence. Um, but it, the good thing for me was that when I came back from those loans. Fulham still was, you know, keen for me to be in amongst the first team. Um, for instance, I, I played, I played all of one's pre-season when Luis Boimorte had a longer period off after the Euros, and we played against Real Madrid out in Austria. And that's that first game of the season was against May, um, May United away, and I was I was tipped to be playing, so I had been playing ahead of uh, Radzinski all pre-season and Chris Coleman was keen to start using me. Um, but when it came to the first game of the season, it's, I wouldn't say he got cold feet. He kind of sat me down. And he was honest, which I appreciate a lot. That's what I love about him. He just said, look, my, I, I'm going to have to go Rosinski because he's experienced. I need to show that I'm going with an experienced group for the first game of the season against Man United. It's Man United away. If I don't start well there, I won't really potentially recover after the next few games. Mm-hmm. And... I appreciate what he was saying there because what he was trying to say to me is he knew how well I did and he knew how well um i uh, sorry, how much I, I thought I had a chance of playing. And he was just kind of saying to me there, look, you are involved, but I need to go with a few more experienced players at this stage. And I, I accepted it. And that's where I go back to telling the youngsters not to get caught up with things too long. Um so he just he just said, Look, would you would you go out on loan? Um, to try and get uh, as many games as you can in the next few months uh, and then hopefully come back and play in the first team for me. So my first loan for Swindon was obviously when I come in League 2 and we won we won promotion, didn't we? Um, to League 1. Right. Last game of the season. Um, I think we we both, us and Warsaw, uh, went up and it was the last game of the season as long as neither of us lost, which Troy Dino, I think, was playing for Warsaw up, up top. Um, and in that summer is when Chris Coleman got sacked and I wasn't sure what was going to be happening with me. Laurie Sanchez took over and I remember Paul Sturrock was was really, really keen to be signing me, And I was keen. I was, I was, I would have, you know, still gone to Swindon and signed permanently because at the time I had my first proper, you know, experience on loan somewhere and I won promotion and players can go through their whole career of never you know, experiencing anything like that or promotion. And I was I was kind of keen for it, but on the flip side, I was keen to see what Laurie Sanchez would think of me, you know. Um, so I thought I have to give myself the chance of doing preseason with him, uh, seeing how it goes. And I'll be honest, it, it didn't it didn't go well at all. Not not because I I wasn't the type of player for him. It's just that he, I think he he had his way of doing things. He wanted to bring his players, and and I was a total youngster in his mind, you know, uh, you know, fr- fresh around the areas, you know, like. It, it, it was never really going to be something for me there. But the trouble is the period of me then getting back out took too long. Um, I think it wasn't until, well, I think it was potentially almost Christmas is when I got back out on loan. And that's when I come back to to Swindon the following time, the the following season on loan.
0: Yeah. It it always felt like a, uh... A prolonged uh, <laughs> journey to the to the permanent transfer. Yeah,
2: it's gonna it's gonna happen, but <laughs> like, like I said, the the situation was that you know, like when I when I went out loan to Swindon and done what I did, that will that would have been enough for Chris Coleman for me to play, but then he obviously had that period of while I was on loan, he weren't doing well in the end and ended up getting sacked. Then I was. Don't get me wrong, I wanted to, to be at Fulham to see whether I'd have a chance based on what I just did at Swindon. I'd gone out, proved to people, you know, I was able to play We won promotion, which is even more of a bigger, you know, attraction when a youngster goes out on loan and, and they're part of a, you know, a club's promotion. Um, so I wanted to see if I could give myself the chance of pre-season. And then after that, it 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 was just a stop-start sort of season for me. Um, I should have probably tried to get on loan. But on the flip side, Paul Sturrock... Would have, and he. I remember him saying to me one day uh, during the summer. He said, "Look, Mike, if you're not going to sign for me now, I need to go out and get someone, you know, that I've got lined up. If you're not going to sign, and that's what I, that's what I mean by I, I was known, I was known to have an old head on a, on a young on a youngster's body because I, I appreciated the situation that Paul Starik was in. I didn't hold it against him, and I knew that when the time come along again, that he would always want me. But at the time, i um it, it it just didn't play out too too quick as much as I needed it to. <laughs> as soon as the opportunity come up again, then obviously I jumped at it to come back.
0: Yeah, I was a big fan of Paul Sturrock, and it was a shame that like many uh, periods in Swindon's history, when you when you've got something good, things tend to go wrong beyond their control, and it all it all goes wrong. And obviously he went off to Plymouth. But how did he compare to the the managers you'd worked with previously?
2: Well, he, he's he's similar in he's he's a very good man management like so. I I'm one of those that if if a manager's been if a manager's been good to me, I'd always always you know <laughs> speak highly of them and never forget it. But on the on the on the basis, I always appreciate what another player might feel about it. So there's players that I've played with that don't like a certain manager, but I think they're very good because they've got their opinion on it. You know that they, they might not have been a, a Played under that manager, or the manager might have been a bit of a uh, not 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 great towards him. But to, for me, Paul Sturrock was fantastic. You know, he just demanded, and that's where I started to learn about my character at a young age. That I thrived on the manager demanding me to do more and do, and they needed me. You know, they relied upon me, and to the point that they would they would ask me stuff and and get my opinion on things. And I think that's where. I probably then started to feel like I owed them something more, and I'd I'd go out of my way in you know, you know the, the you, you hear the silly saying about going for a brick wall and stuff like that. But I generally would do anything I was asked when these kind of managers would ask me to do those things. Um, yeah. I, I, I had an unbelievable time with him, and that's why I, I know we would touch on it. But that's why I ended up going to Southend in the uh, in the first place because of Paul Sturrock.
0: yeah right, of course, of course, yes. Um, your, your first real prolonged stint in in senior football is obviously a, a, a promotion season um with swindon getting that I think I, I don't think Mr. Deney played um the final day of the season. It was, the point, tre-
1: yeah. it,
0: it was Trevor Benjamin instead quite a difference. But um yeah it was it was a great it was you know um I feel Jarrell scores his his wonderful bullet header. And then was it Dean Keats scored that late-night yep. equaliser, but nobody
2: cared because we were both up and we are yeah. all on the pitch. But and we're, all, we're all walking around on the pitch after. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, think, I think the last 10 minutes, we all more or less, you know, kind of accepted the fact that, look, we were both going to go up. Let's just, you know, go through the motions now. And,
0: and they just swing in an equaliser right at the end, didn't they? And um, yeah, it, it was good fun that day. And... how. Oh, <laughs> It, it, it's kind of short-term-esque mentality, but does having a successful season sort of edge you towards wanting to join a club on a permanent basis? Like if it was just a mid-table season, would you be like, well, I'm going to go back now and hopefully secure a loan move elsewhere if I need to? Or does like the fact that you've been part of a promotion, which obviously that makes the, the, the dressing room culture probably a better place to be too, Does does that help influence a footballer's decision?
2: Yeah, I think um, I think it depends on the, the the player themselves as far as where they are in their career, um, the stage they're at, and, and what they're wanting to get from it, um, and also what has that loan been for? Are they going out to get experience? Are they going out because they're not wanted at the club, the parent club? So there's there's a number of factors, but I think, especially in my situation, that I I would have, even though Fulham was my club, you know, that that's my, you know where I learned everything, I, I would have joined Swindon had it not been for the, the the opportunity of being as close as I was to the first team. Um, and I wouldn't have thought, you know, second, you know, like I thought, I thought Swindon would have been a, a great opportunity for me. You know, fantastic level coming out of Fulham, you know, even, even though I played cup games, I was on the bench once for, for Chris Coleman against Blackburn in the Premiership. Um, but I didn't taste Premiership football. I didn't, you know... I experienced it as far as being in the games with the first team, as far as in the squads, but I didn't actually experience playing. So I, I knew I wasn't at that level and I needed to go and drop down to play and stuff. And not that I needed to drop down to league two or drop, learn to league one. So I needed to get out. And because of the the situation, not playing for that period of being a year or so out and the age I was by then, which I think I was about 20, 21 or so, I knew I had to end up start, start playing games as quick as I could because you can you can you can be at a top club, and be known as a very good player, but effectively they start to look at how many games you played at the age you're at, and that's where I knew at a young age I wasn't playing enough games. Yeah. I wasn't didn't have enough games on on my CV, and it was always going to play a, a factor of me ended up you know getting a, a decent move else, elsewhere from Fulham. Um, but like I said, I came to Swindon. I didn't know Paul Sturrock at all. Um, what happened? We, I played. Chelsea in a reserve game at uh, Brentford's um, Brentford Stadium, the old stadium, and uh, Starrett came to watch the game because he he got rec- recommended. Um, Hugh Jennings was Fulham's uh, chief scout. He worked with Rangers previously, so he was very close with Paul Starrett. So he obviously, he recommended Paul to come down and have a look. And then that's how the the, the situation came for me to go there. Um, I didn't know Paul at all, and as I said, sometimes you know you don't you don't know someone or you don't know people at the club and it becomes the best club for you you know and it, it really comes down to how it plays out sometimes and how the player it themselves wants to to look at it and wants to take it now I think everyone I think every club that I've kind of played for has kind of always appreciated the type of player I was not even aspect of uh, capabilities of, of standout performances, but w- what I, I was for the club, I was always committed. And I think fans always kind of appreciated that when they met me, I'd always give them as much time as I could. Um, because as I said to you, that I always knew that, you know, first and foremost, it's their club. Um, but also secondly, is it's, it's the right thing to do, you know, to, to give your all. And I always, I always used to, to, to laugh about the the saying that Tony Adams apparently said, he said, Players need to stop worrying about the the name on the back of their shirt. They need to worry about the name on the front of the shirt, meaning the club, uh, the club name. Uh, I think there's a number of things that kind of made me there, but I think my 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 growth with with how I, I got brought up from my mum and dad, we we were you know came from Peckham, um, in a, a council estate, so we we always worked hard. You know, we worked hard for what we got, and we always done well in life. And to the point, of my my brother's company's, flourishing massively um, with London Underground so it was in our you know mentality to be like that but I always I always feel good about it when when fans do say it to me that they've they've loved the fact that I would do anything for the club and they see that when I'm playing because I think you know it's good to be known for playing you know scoring good goals here and there um, but for me I would always want the fans to remember me that I've actually gave my all for the club
0: I think that stands out the most in my memory for you, just purely on the fact that you were in heavy rotation nearer nearer to the end. You know yeah, the the, the year was. the year that we get to the playoffs, you and Craig Easton are the, the the steady subs, aren't you? And and there's never rarely any rumour of leaving. You, you both sort of do your duties, and then the thing that really stands out is that when there was the mass exodus in 2011 you were the one it sat in the stands doing all the interviews saying like i'm gonna you know we're gonna fight to rectify this relegation we're gonna sort it out and then it ends the way it does but we'll talk about that a bit later on but i I think those are the major examples that people saw at that time
2: yeah and as i say i think people might not be aware but I, i bought my first property in swindon in old town um, so I moved away. I bought a property up there. As much as I was still going up and down to London seeing my family, but I had a girlfriend. Well, she's my wife now, luckily. <laughs> but um, that's why I was going up and down. But I actually bought a property, you know, um, to, to kind of settle and and make a right go of it. Yeah. And I, I loved it. And as I said, the the periods which we will get to is 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 why I ended up going down that route. But um, even for instance, I. I would want to be playing every game and I'm still like that. You know, I'd get annoyed if I'm not playing, but I'd always act in the right way, which a lot of players do. And uh, there are some players that wouldn't act in the right way, but majority of players do act in the right way. But if I understood why I wasn't playing and and it was in a fair sort of situation, say if the player is better than me, because effectively that's that's one of the main reasons sometimes, then I can accept it. You know, it would just make me work harder to want to be, but also I would make sure that I'm the best a replacement or the best sort of um, sub coming on. You know, I'd always want to make sure I'm, I'm doing right for the team, for, the, for my teammates. And and especially in that period under Danny Wilson, where I was playing quite a bit when he first came in, in the following season, we, we made some really good signings. Um, Simon Ferry, uh, Jonathan Douglas, who Doug is one of my like good friends in football. Um, I, I could accept it. And not in in like I, I wasn't bothered no more. It's more I, I wanted to be part of something going forward. And I think we had such a good squad that we we had characters in in and amongst the team that were playing or not playing that was of the right mentality, wanted the right for the team, wanted right for the club, not just about an individual si- situation. Um, and I think obviously it just shows you make or break sometimes we should have got promoted. I mean, last game of the season... We, we play Millwall and either one of us could have got promoted. We don't. We end up drawing and end up going to the final to play each other. And it just shows you that sometimes how things play out. And in the flip side, it shows you how things play out when a thing gets relegated. You know, you, you like to think it will eventually show for a good cause or a good reason. But sometimes there's no underlying sort of factor in that but yeah like I, I i knew the situation i was in at swindon at that period where i wasn't playing regularly um and i was still at a reasonably good age it's not like i was coming towards the end of my career and i, and I was just wanting to be part of something but for me is a, is is a big factor of of um the process you know where we where we trying to go to with what we're doing and i saw that with swindon you know we we had such a good such good group the club was heavily backed with the fans you know like home and away um the 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 position of us getting to the playoffs and then potentially getting into the championship you know I just felt this was the right club so that's why I was never concerned about looking to leave or because I wasn't playing and Danny Wilson was actually open with me he was saying look uh, he said I don't know how you feel about things but you know considering you haven't played much for me and and um you didn't obviously get on in the final, and I, I was gutted I didn't because it was Millwall, it's the, it's the closest club to, my, to where I grew up, and a lot of my friends and even my, my two brothers were Millwall supporters. I, I didn't hold anything against Danny, I didn't like to this point to this day. Danny Wilson still calls me up for um favors, uh, asked me about players, um, asked me about managers, and I love that. I love the fact that. Uh, he's not the only manager. There's a load of managers that I've come across uh, played under, and they, they, they still do that. And I would still call them because, for me, is is it, there, there's always a reason why you're doing things, and that's why when Danny explained to me that even though I wasn't really playing much and and I didn't play in the final that day, that he was always wanting me to be part of his plans and. Easier said than done, because obviously you need the players to start staying in case, in case we have a mass success so to leaving. him. But I generally did believe him, and I was prepared to do that because we were going in the right direction. And if that meant I was playing here and not playing, I was willing to do that as long as the club was progressing.
0: Yeah, Danny Wilson's done this podcast, and he's an absolute gentleman. Before that, you had Morris Malpass. What, what was your experience as a
2: Uh So, yeah, I, I found Morris, um He was more of a coach than a manager. And I think not that he struggled in that period at Swindon to be the manager. I think it was difficult because I think he probably got the job off off, of Paul Sturrock's recommendation. And as a coach, he now I've, I've seen it on quite numerous occasions now. There's some managers that are more suited to be a coach and there's some coaches that need to become a manager because of their style and how they act and, and how they they carried themselves, and I think with 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 Morris, he, he was more of a coach because when he did take training sessions, I I found he was very good. The the situation that probably didn't play well for him is that he had he had quite a few, you know, um, sort of established players as such, you know, like with, with characters, and if you if you don't control them or manage them well, then it it could run away. And I think that was a little bit of what was happening. So. Identity of 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 the team of what we were doing wasn't really showing anything, um, yeah. and I think that ended up playing its part.
0: Yeah, did, did you somebody who felt that Budgie should have had a, a more of a go because he had two caretaker spells again? Another alumni of this podcast, and he, you know, I think he felt that he he probably was worth a shot. Would you
2: agree? Yeah, I, I think what you got to look at it sometimes is that when when someone gets the caretaker role how do they do sometimes they do well and then do they do they do well after they get, get given the manager's job but i think the frustration for budgie would be i i i loved budgie good character and the good thing about him as well he's he would do anything for the club you know he'd he'd do a man and a half job or a woman woman's job as they say but he would go he would go out of his way to do things right for the club and considering that he done well in the brief spell of the caretaker role he had he should have been given the chance the frustration for budget would have been that he probably wasn't a high profile name to be given it. And it's frustrating that that generally does play a, play a factor sometimes. And potentially they may have had someone lined up during the care, care, caretaker spell that he was doing, but they should always give that manager that's doing the caretaker role a good opportunity to look at him because if he's doing well in that in that role, which he did because he knew everyone, he knew the players, he knew what ticked every every player how to get more out of them and there's no no reason why he wouldn't have done well in my opinion he probably would have done it's a, a similar situation with kev Mayer. he was at south end um got overlooked a few occasions when when managers had kind of left and he ended up having to leave to go elsewhere to to make a, a bit more of a name for himself as a coach to then get the opportunity to come back as a south end uh, manager because of the same situation as budgie that they probably didn't look at him first, you know, and he was he was in the door. Frustrating for Budgie because he he had put a lot of time, especially with the youth team, with the players coming through, with Sean Morrison and that. He put a lot of time in in, in with them.
0: Yeah, in terms of Swindon Town during your career, it's it's quite a roller coaster, which is what we're used to. But you know, you have the highs of a promotion and a bit of middling, and then a season of struggle, which Danny Wilson sort of pulls it around then the the playoff season then relegation and then the, the conclusion to your career and there's a takeover during that time also with the with Andrew Black's consortium with Andrew Fitton and Jeremy Ray how much does the ownership issues play a part in in the squad's mentality during that time because it was really felt like a struggle during, during that time to support Swindon
2: yeah um Obviously, it does play its part. Um, the players know, you know, first hand of how, how things are getting done and how things are getting run. And sometimes uh, you might get a chairman that's very hands-on in a bad way. You might get some chairmen that are, are not hands-on. Um, it, what I found with Andrew Fitton and Jeremy Ray, I, I found them fantastic. They were all the club to do things right. Um, they put the money where their mouth was. Um and for me that's you know when you see that from the top coming down you you do even more so you know you want to do well um yeah it, it, i think it was a frustration because they they wanted to do the right thing for the club um uh, and the, obviously you got to remember the, the squad that actually got relegated it was a really really bloody good squad you know the players it's that we had
0: unbelievable yeah. just can't believe it happened <laughs> it's still still uh yeah really really odd um in in terms of that season where we go down Danny Wilson gets uh, sacked and then Paul Hart comes in what's your theory i've I've spoke to a lot of people from this season and they they have various um theories of of why it went wrong what, what's your theory
2: um there's there's a number of things you know Players not doing themselves justice. Um, maybe the the manager at the time, Danny Wilson, wasn't able to to get the the tune out of the players, so to speak. Uh, players playing that possibly shouldn't have been playing, and that's not picking you know pointing fingers at people and stuff. But it 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 look at for instance Matt Ritchie that season. You know, like he wasn't really. Playing that well, but not because he wasn't a good player. Just I don't think he probably was enjoying himself. And then the following season, when obviously Decanio comes in, um, probably shows him a lot of love, which I experienced. Um, Decanio was fantastic at that with him. You know, showed him a lot of love. And I always knew that that, that Matt Rishi was a good player, but it shows you the the, the dynamics of the group, um, the dynamics of the coaching staff can play a part of whether a player is happy, does well or not. Now, Danny was fantastic. In my opinion, Danny was good. Danny Wilson was good with his man management. Um, I think by this stage, because we we missed out on the playoffs, uh, we missed out of getting promotion. We then probably went down the route of trying to get a little bit more names in the, in the building. Um, and that's good because you need to set the standards. You need to bring more... Um, Experienced players, players of higher quality, players that have played higher. Um, but then, problem. What you get with that, you have to manage that all. You have to keep them all happy. And obviously, that that season is when I my my first loan to Southend. I went briefly for I think it's three or four games because I wasn't really playing. And um, uh, Southend come in asking for me to go on loan there. And Danny was happy for me to go just for the month to play games. But I remember Jeremy Ray at the time and Andrew Fitton, they were they were really annoyed because they felt I should be, you know, at, at least playing regularly or uh, helping out with the first team at, at Swindon. So when the team wasn't doing so well, I remember getting the call to say I have to, I have to come back and be involved because we weren't doing well in our own team. Why am I elsewhere helping that team? Um, but I think a lot, of, a lot of the situation is is. In that in that year was probably trying to make sure you kept everyone sort of on the same hymn sheet and wanting to to pull in the right direction. Mm. There wasn't no real, there wasn't no real standout moments where oh that's you can put it down to that was the biggest factor that was a big problem or this player was a big problem. It was a it, you know it was a situation where you could see it coming and you could see it happening and and that's what I say you know like players don't. Look to play bad because effectively it's, it's their reputation. But when elements come into you know, like um, um, you know, when you talk about if a player is playing well, if he's playing regularly, that's because of confidence. And I think a lot of the players at that that, that that time in the squad was massively low in confidence, and I think it was a huge factor of of how it played out.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can't fully. Die on the hill of if Wilson stays, we stay up because obviously a large part of the season was uh, was down to Danny Wilson's tenure. But for all the goods that that ownership did, bringing in Paul Hart just didn't have the impact they were looking for. It never looked like it either, did it?
2: Yeah, it was just, it was a bit of a strange one because obviously I think similarly you you had Paul Bowden, um, you know that he ended up. Uh, <laughs> He ended up taking it for the last couple of games when we was obviously um, officially relegated.
0: Yeah, and you scored, didn't you? Of course, yeah.
2: Yeah, and he 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 was there to maybe take the the reins for for a game or two before Paul Hart sort of officially came. Um, but I think it was one of those that they probably thought bringing a manager uh, on two situations, bringing a manager that's that's worked higher, but also bringing a manager that's a no nonsense manager. And Paul Hart was known for that being no man uh, no nonsense, he'll tell the players what's what. You'd have to jump to the tune of what he's talking about. Um and I think that's possibly why they looked at it like that. I don't know that for sure. That's me reading, you know, through the lines. Um but yeah you you, you go you go down the route of one sort of way with a manager and then you bring in another manager. And I, I feel as though there weren't really a G up with Paul Hart coming in. Now I've been fortunate to to kind of get to know Paul Hart uh, since. And I say hello to him when I see him, but I don't know him overly well as much as the other manager I've played under. Um, but I felt at the time when he did come in, it didn't really galvanise the group um, to kind of have reaction of of having a real chance, if you know what I mean. Sometimes it happens where a manager comes in and you start getting a couple of results because one aspect, players are keen to impress because they think it's a new manager and then on on the other aspect, some players are are happy with a change, you know, so you get that, but I didn't feel that it happened to the squad at that time when Paul Hart come in now that's not to say Paul Hart had an effect on the group, and that's why it never happened. I just think that the group was mentally you know kind of tired by then, you know, like it was kind of a tough season, the though. damage was done, yeah, and it was it was gonna be a lot to kind of get out of that at that situation, sure.
0: Yeah, and as I alluded earlier, you were one of the spokespeople for that summer of you know, you know making amends because a couple of the players made noises, especially when Decanio was appointed. Like, oh, hang on, I might not go, and then they'd go anyway. And some absolutely <laughs> had every intention of going regardless. But you're one of the ones that stick around.
2: Oh yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't know who was going to be coming in at that time, but when we were when we were relegated then Paul Bowden took the game and so I remember talking to Paul and I said no Paul I I, I want to be here. I want to be part of the group next year I want to try and get the club promoted um I I saw my future long term with with Swindon do you know like and, and I remember saying to Paul I want to I want to be part of because I felt even though I was still kind of I think I was possibly about um 26 or so uh, I'm not sure exactly what age I was 27 but uh, I I feel as though I was kind of coming part of like one of the, the senior senior players. But I was always kind of you know I wouldn't say outspoken, but I, was, I would always speak up in the group even when I was younger. And uh, I felt as though that's what was was needed for the youngsters in the group because we had some really good youngsters. Um, and I felt as though like next year might be a possibility that we end up having a a, a younger squad. And it would need like a, a good sort of players um to be part of that to to, to be helping and push them along but yeah I, like I said I, I still saw, saw myself being at at uh, Swindon before even the candy took over now obviously when he when he took over I was you know I was amazed I was loved it I loved it you know the thought of you know he he was known as an unbelievable player um and then obviously when I I think the situation I had a years a year on the table, Before Dicanyo took over, and then obviously I went and met him, got really well, spoke highly of me. Um, I told him how much you know I loved the fact that he's taken over because you know he had had passion, and that's what I loved. You know, I, you know, like um, I thrived off it, and that's what I told him. I said like how you how you're talking to me, it will make me want to go and play now straight away. And I spoke to Jeremy Ray straight after, and Jeremy Ray said, look, we always wanted you to be here long term anyway, and why don't we make the contract longer so it ended up being a two-year contract uh, that i ended up signing um so that's to saying. i still still you know saw myself you know being part of the club um obviously part of the the revolution under the canio and it, it it's it's good for me to have this chance with you rich to talk about it and hopefully all the fans get a clear idea i think some fans have kind of got to understand the situation or know the situation because i've generally tried to put it out there sometimes I If I saw Di Canio now, I I actually would talk to him and would want to talk to him. We didn't actually massively have an issue or falling out and I didn't, you know, say I didn't want to play for him no more. It was nothing like that. How What kind of happened was uh, pre-season went really well. It was very difficult, you know, very tough pre-season. But I, I, I loved it because I was used to grafting, you know, and, and I knew it was all for a good cause. He was getting us fit which I think it showed Swindon was probably the fittest team in that season, possibly, and very tactical. Um, And we, pre-season, we didn't barely have a day off. We worked hard, but tactically we worked on a lot of stuff and I loved that, you know, because I was still learning about coaching and I I loved learning that aspect. And he was talking about Capello and he was talking about um, different managers in Italy. And I I used to talk to him often about things. Me and Paul Caddis, we used to talk to him a, a lot about you know, tactical stuff and things like that. And obviously pre-season went well. And in the first game of the season, uh, we played crew at home and we'd done really well. Now, I always knew with, for myself that, you know, as much as Di Canio, you know, he knew I could play centre midfield, but I was probably going to be, you know, playing in certain roles to kind of help the team as such. And that, that weren't because he didn't like me. It was more the fact that, because he knew he could rely upon me to do that for him. And, uh we the first game of the season crew um we won as I said and then on the Monday when we came in um we went through a video analysis and during the game he I remember he was complaining to Callum Kennedy about not doing something. He wasn't doing his um you know, his job, what he was getting told to do. Then during the video on the Monday he was he brought it up and started talking about it. And I, I stuck up for Callum in a way. Like to say like, no, Callum wasn't Callum wasn't, you know, doing what he wanted to do. He was trying to, but he wasn't able to. And I think Di Canio, I think Paolo, looking back at it now, it wasn't me speaking out of line. It was just me, you know, kind of trying to not diffuse the situation, but back my teammate, but also kind of explain it to the manager because Callum wasn't able to explain it to him himself properly. And I think Di Canio possibly took it that I was trying to be um bigger than him in the group which I wasn't Do you know like I, I was actually all for him and all for him doing well with us um but frustratingly what happened he he took it not not aggressive at that time or we didn't argue or anything like that but he left me out i think if you remember we played bristol city away in the cup on the tuesday and um he never he never, he never put me in the squads and we lost the game on the tuesday night people then was asking why was I not involved so then obviously some people started to hear there was there was something happened and you know like um, a conversation amongst the group and stuff like that then on that the, that following saturday I wasn't in the squad again now I, by this for, for the first game I thought okay I have seen it before I thought okay maybe he's making a little bit of a point to me um but hopefully I'll be back in the squad for the for the for the next league game then when I wasn't back in the squad again, I thought, "Oh, you're kind of making something out of nothing here. You're, you're making a, a problem now." The the issue, of what happened is, those I think it was three, four games. Rich, now you probably re- remember rightly. <laughs> I think three four games we end up losing.
0: Yeah, but, terrible yeah. So after the crew game. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, and it it probably didn't play well for me because then it really started to highlight that I was a good character in the group i had an influence on the group um i was a good player for him you know like i would have done well for him um but this is where i knew decanio's character quite well that it was it was not good for me staying around because he was quite headstrong good good headstrong for some elements but then in that situation i found it quite unfair that he was keeping me out of the group now Obviously, after the first first game, he left me out. I went and saw him and asked why, and he he kind of made out there was no issues, something. And then. I felt like I've, I'm 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 old enough now to to know that there's a little bit of an underline here that I get that you're trying to make a point, but you don't have to be making a point with me. I'm trying to you know back up one of my teammates to kind of explain that he's not trying to do what he wants and not going against you, um, and. It just, like I said, it was hard to explain because there was no argument. There was no um, ill towards or anything like that. But where we ended up losing the, the games after that, it felt like he had to then start winning before he could bring me back in. Because if I came back in the first game and then we won or we did well, people would say, oh, he should have had me back in already. Do you know? So by that stage, I knew full well that this 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 ain't going to play well because he probably is going to wait till he gets a win before he brings me back in amongst the group. Now I'll be honest with you, Rich, I, I couldn't take. And as I said to you before, if I see, if I see the reason in a positive situation and the team are doing well, I'll back the group and I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll keep my head down. I'll work hard and, and wait for my opportunity. But I wasn't prepared to stay there and wait around um knowing full well that I wasn't going to be getting picked based off something that's not football sort of situation. So I just went to Jeremy Ray and I said, look, Jeremy, I I'll be honest you, if Decanio is not looking to be using me, I, I'm gonna to have to be getting out on loan because um I'm at this age now I need to be playing. I feel as though I've I've shown um a good character to want to do well for the club. Um, but if Dicaneo is not going to want to use me, then you need to help the situation and, and let me go out alone. And that's how it played out. Jeremy Ray really didn't want me to leave. Um, he was saying, no, oh, like, wait for another uh, game or so and let me speak to decanio And I felt as though it had gone on too many games for that situation to kind of be, you know, not that I was holding anything against Decanio. I just thought like, I felt as I was I was a good player in the squad and I didn't like the situation that I wasn't kind of even training. I wasn't even allowed to train with them by the end, and I think that's where Di Canio made his mind up that he needed me away from the group. So obviously that's how the situation with me going going to Southend on on loan. Um, but then, funny enough, if you remember, we played uh, we played each other. Well, while, while I was on loan at Southend, um, Swindon come to Roots Hall, and I think we were second and. Uh, Swindon were third possibly or it might be the other way around and I was still only on loan until January um, and I remember talking to the canio in the tunnel and he was laughing and joking with me and how, how was everything going I said no good I'm I'm happy and playing and stuff like that. and he went oh you're doing really well and he went oh um, will you come back in January and I, I had to say to him I said yeah Gaffer, like you know I would but I want to make sure that I'm coming back to be playing you know like but I I'll be honest with you Rich. I knew in pre-season we'd have actually a really good chance of getting promoted. Because I knew the mentality of what Decanny was about. I knew what he wouldn't stand for, no nonsense, which he didn't. It showed he didn't. And that was what I, I loved seeing. And I knew that's what especially in League Two, um, but a little bit of League One, that's what it takes a lot of the time. There's a no nonsense manager to get things right. And if things ain't going right, they need to change it quickly. Um, but even in even come January, I knew that Swindon ran that time. Swindon started to really make a a good you know sort of situation in the league where I started to think they are definitely going to go and get promoted. Now I could have easily gone back and been part of another team to get promoted and and things like that but for me it was one of those that if he wasn't if he wasn't bring me back it felt cuz I was doing well for South End and helping South End do well because South End wasn't ex- really expected to be to be up there doing that well. And where we were doing well, it felt like he was almost having a laugh at me to bring me back to stop me from doing well for South End. Not to be horrible, but to kind of stop South End because they were the rivals at the time.
0: Yeah.
2: But like I said, I, I I I'd still have a good laugh with him I see him. There wasn't no, <laughs> no malice or, or badness. But the frustration for me was that it, I felt like Swindon was my club. You know, I'd been there. I think it was almost four years by this stage, you know, and I, and I had the property up there and things like that. And I felt like I, it's not for my, it's not for my, you know, like I, I haven't done nothing ma- majorly wrong to end up having to leave the club. But as I said, for that to happen um, and then going to South End, which ended up, so South End became my Swindon, if you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, no, it's a, a, a heck of a love affair. You know, you're there for, the majority of your pro career. Um, you score a penalty in a playoff final. Uh, you play a lot of football with them, including alongside uh, future Swindon favourite, Jack Payne. Um, and they look after you as well when when times aren't great for you. And that is what I think many people wanted you to have at Swindon, but you found it at Southend.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. Frustratingly, I think I, I would have had that. And I, don't get me wrong. It, it it it's it's it played <laughs> sorry it played out well that that some uh, that season for Dicanyo because he got promoted and I was delighted for the team I, was, I massively was and I was I was I was happy for him as well you know um because it is it is a, a massive achievement to get a club promoted you know it's no easy feat and um, I was more happy for the players because I knew how hard how hard they were working under him. Um, but also the main thing is I I, I still saw South uh, Swindon as as my club, and I was I was keen for, for Swindon to do well. Um, it was just frustrating for for us that we we kind of fell away at End. But as I said, how how the Swindon fans took to me is is how End took to me straight away. The fans, I think, it's the same situation. They saw that I was, you know, I was f- for the people, so to speak.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, and and. Although I'd love to talk to you about, you know, you've got eight more years of pro football in you, but, you know, time is against us. And, you know, you you, you briefly dip into non league football with Ebsley and then um, a couple of seasons with Dulwich Hamlet. And now coaching is the goal for you. And and how is that going?
2: Yeah. So obviously, I think it was eight years in total at South End and a uh, similar situation. I ended up leaving South End. Um, Joking, joking around. So Chris Powell saw me as as a player that would become a coach for him, uh, a player coach, and I loved the aspect of that because I really wanted to do my coaching. I passed my my B license and I was I was working on my A license. <laughs> but I think the the that summer I was I was offered a deal, and to, um, Chris Powell said that when I get back from holiday, we'll sit down and, and fresh it out. And then the the goalpost changed. Not on the basis that they didn't want me. They needed a couple of players to be out the door, and Chris Powell asked me to wait until the end of preseason to get them out, and then I'll be able to sign my deal because he didn't want to take me on the deal because he'd already lined up other players. Now, I obviously I knew the players that he was trying to get out at the time, and it it showed it. It took too long to get them out, but that's why I ended up having to leave. I was I he he asked me to wait, and I I wasn't prepared to because I knew. In football, even if he was wanting to, to sign me, and I held out, and I go to him at the end of preseason, and then he turns around and says, "I'm not able to sign you." I can't hold him accountable. I can't make him sign me because he said it. So that's why I made sure that I, I went and signed for Steven straight away. And that that, and as I said, that 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 was a good good move. I really enjoyed it. We missed out by one one point for the playoffs um, in our first year. Um, and that's another club that tries to do things the right way and wanted to go place and stuff like that. But the, the the older I was getting by this stage, I wanted to kind of start being settled for my family. I had a young boy, um, Rafe, and he uh, yeah, was planning to have a, our second child, uh, Sloan. So that I started to then think about I didn't want to start traveling away from the family that much, um, but also I wanted to be part of a club that I could start doing my coaching. So obviously went to, Went to Ebbfleet after I left Stevenage um, and really enjoyed that aspect. It was a club kind of in a bit of turmoil. They're trying to get things in place. Um, had a few issues before, but Damien Irvine, that's, uh, that went in just around the time um, when it was finishing there for me. He's a big part of why they've done well there. Now, he was he was just joining the club for Wickham when we played him in the playoff final for Southend, and we beat them. Um, but he's a big reason why Wickham are, are how they are now, on and off the pitch. As far as financially, he, he's he's at Ebb Fleet now, and this this year is why have got promoted. He joined Fleet, um when I did, and uh, he was putting everything in place. And he's a really good, really good uh, CEO. So I think you'll start seeing a lot of a lot of things about him um, now. They're back coming up the the leagues. Yeah, the big the big factor for me was. Use, uh, getting the opportunity to work with Gavin Rose at Dulwich obviously I, I grew up in Peckham Dulwich down the road and uh, Gavin's one of the older older men in the area for for the group that we're in and Gavin's and Junior to be fair Junior Caddy they're, they're very very good coaches and disappointing for them they haven't given been given the opportunity to work higher um, based on because they've not, never worked at a pro club at, at any kind of level as in youngsters But they've been proven near enough every year. um, A player from Dulwich, a youngster from Dulwich has gone to a pro club and eventually has played in the premiership. Um, So I think it's one of those that they will get their chance. And that's why I took the opportunity to go and play there, to be back around the area, but also get the opportunity to work with them eventually as a coach.
0: Nice. Yeah. Absolutely fuming that Chippenham sent them down. A few weeks ago, um, yeah. living with them, living with them. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up now. And this has been really, really interesting. I really do appreciate every, every moment of it. But let's th- th- end on a Swindon centric, um, chat. And and we haven't really talked about your teammates at all and your, your, your favorite memories of what were, you know, over a 100 games to Swindon, a good few years, um, contracted to the club. What, what are things, what are the things that stick out?
2: Uh oh, the group, the players in the group. You know. <laughs> we had some ripe characters. Uh, Billy Painter, Simon Ferry, obviously, um, was a big one. Um, but we had loads of good characters. And I think that's why we done well around that period, because of the characters in the group. Um, committed, knew how to have a laugh, but knew how to work hard when the time was right, you know, and, and was for each other. And we generally did always enjoy each other's company. Um, Billy Painter was probably... My closest um, ally, uh, we used to, to have a good laugh together and stuff like that. But as I said, from the, from the very young youngster in the group, which was Callum Kennedy at the time and Sean Morrison, to the oldest, which was Jonathan Douglas. And we we had such a good range of characters and such good good memories over, over the course of the few years there that, that we were together.
0: Lovely. Well, a privilege Michael Timlin, um, and thank you once again for, for doing this, Michael. Thank you very
1: much.
2: I appreciate it, Rich. Thanks very much.
0: The Low Strangers is an independent supporters podcast. Views given do not reflect those of Swindon Town Football Club or their official partners. The music is provided by the great Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork was designed by Matt in Singapore. What a guy! Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon, it's a bubble.
1: Hi, Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy.